Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Seriously, man, you don't really think we're going to see any Canutes and 41 Rockies jerseys here at Coors Field, do you? I mean, no offense, I know you're a local and all, but that was a long time ago. You never know. I've seen some old guy jerseys around here, haven't you? In fact, I actually heard from a really good source. You mean you saw it on Twitter. Whatever. I heard that Chad Cool's wearing 41 now for the Rockies because he grew up a Milwaukee Brewers fan and he watched me wearing number 41 back in the day. That, you know, that's pretty cool, right? I see what you did there, Mark. Yeah, okay, wait. Look, he's right over there. Let's just go ask him. Well, you know, we probably shouldn't bother him. What do you mean? We're media. That's our job. Follow me. Uh, okay, but, but let me ask him. Hey, Chad, I'm Mark Knudsen. This is Manny Randall. We do a podcast called the Park Adjusted Rockies Podcast. He came up with the name. Congrats on your great start to the season. Are you liking it here? He's got a question for you, Chad. Okay, I heard somewhere that you're wearing number 41 here as a Rocky because, you know, I wore it a while back. A long okay, while back. whatever. I wore 41 in Milwaukee, as I'm sure you know, since I heard you grew up a Brewers fan and all. Uh, yeah, no, I uh, grew up in Delaware. Um, you know, kind of watched the Phillies kind of growing up, but uh, never really heard of you. So when they gave me 41, I don't think it really had some... Uh, significance behind it sorry yeah what's what show am i on it's the park adjusted rockies podcast and now here are your hosts mark knudson and manny randawa the early 2000s were sort of a forgotten era of Colorado rockies baseball larry walker was on the downside and about to be traded todd helton was carrying the load of the team dubbed todd and the toddlers during that time the rockies acquired talented center fielder preston wilson who just joined the 30-30 club the season before from the Florida Marlins in a deal that sent Mike Hampton out of Denver. Wilson was an all-star in 2003 when he blasted 36 homers and led the NL with 141 RBIs. Just as importantly, he patrolled the vast expanse at Coors Field like very few have since. Wilson only spent two seasons in purple pinstripes, but he got a good feel for what's needed for the team and for any individual to have success as a Rocky. This week, he shares some terrific insights with us on this episode of the Park Adjusted Rockies podcast. You do not want to miss this. We're back right after this. For the best selection of autographs and memorabilia from your favorite sports stars past and present, look no further than DenverAutographs.com. Find what you're after on the web or at either of their two Metro Denver locations, Colorado Mills Mall and Flatirons Mall, Broncos, Rockies, Avs, Nuggets, and much more. It's all at DenverAutographs.com. The place to catch all the big game action is at Stoney's Bar and Grill, now with four great locations, including Winter Park and the original at 11th and Lincoln. Great food, great service, and unrivaled game day atmosphere. There's no better place to watch your favorite teams in action. To find out more, check out stoneysbarandgrill.com. Many, um, we don't talk about social media very much on this podcast, but I want to start out by nope. mention, well, a little bit, a little bit. You're pretty good on there, but you know, take ourselves out of the mix here. I want you to tell me, if you could only follow five people on Twitter, who would they be? Oh, man, that's a hard question. It is a hard question. I'd have to think about that for a little while. Well, you right. would be first. First of all, well, I said we got to take each other out of this so, mix. Of course. You're so good at this. Yeah. Um, I'm good at retweeting other people's stuff. That's what I'm good at. Yeah. Right. Well, I know I'll, Preston I'll Wilson's a great follow. That's no, you, for sure. I know that's what you're le- leading well, you see, into. Now you ruined the surprise. True. You ruined the surprise. What surprise? Say, that, was, that was a given, man. Here's my top five. And in no particular order. We all follow Rex Chapman, right? Got to follow Rex Chapman. As a pitcher, Tom House is on my list. Stan Van Gundy is great on Twitter. Uh, Stevie Van Zant is really good on Twitter. And, of course, our guest today, Preston Wilson, former Colorado Rockies center fielder. And, Preston, welcome to the podcast. Appreciate you joining us. Uh, thank you guys for having me. Um, you played center field and course field for a couple of years. Um, during a, a kind of a forgotten time in Rockies history, it's kind of in between. You, were part, you saw Generation R coming up, you know, the Matt Holidays and those guys. Yeah. But Larry Walker had retired. 
Todd was still obviously carrying the load there. What were your impressions now when you think back to those days with the Rockets? You know what? It, it was kind of, it was a time where it was kind of in between. It was after the whole uh, Blake Street Bombers era. Right. Uh, Helton was, Helton was going, starting to be on the downside of the arc of his yep. career. Still very productive, but down on the downside. Uh, Larry Walker, uh, you know, with the shoulder issues and everything, definitely wasn't anything that um, he was prior. I mean, he's still one of the greatest players I've ever played with. But it was, uh, you know, you had the Jason Jennings. Uh, he was just coming in. He won rookie of the year there. Okay, so you yeah. had some guys that showed potential. Uh, Clint Barmas was there at the end of my last, uh, I think uh, the second year I was there, Barmas was there and, uh, you know, had that great run, but they ended up having a that shoulder injury. So you had some, some, some sparks of, of potential of seeing guys there, but it definitely was kind of in between the, I was kind of in the valley of, of, of what everybody knows as the better periods of Colorado baseball, which is the Blake Street Bombers area and the era. And then a little bit after I left, uh, they ended up making it to the World Series. They didn't win, but they made it to the World Series. Did you? Yeah, uh, I, mean, I think. Ahead, I think. Uh, yeah, I wanted to say. I mean, first of all, you know, it's a great honor having you on, and and you know, I know a lot of us, a lot of people who listen to this podcast also follow you on Twitter. Um, and I think the first thing I wanted to ask you was just as a former Rocky and as as a guy who um is still you know uh in and around the game of baseball what do you what do you think about the current iteration of this team i mean it, it you know it just seems so blah it's yeah. just kind of <laughs> that's, that's a great way to it's put just it kinda, it's just kind of it's just kind of it's just kind of going along and it's just like they're just the same mediocre colorado rockies as they have been since 2018 what's your take on kind of where you see this team now and and whether you can discern any uh observable direction for them observable direction uh, that, that's good it's it's it's, t- it's tough when you know it's it, sadly it is it's kind of like is there a chance for for the team to actually do something that's going to catch your eye and make you say you know what there's there's something here and honestly it just feels like they've kind of gotten into this rut kind of, of just like everybody mm-hmm. they go to work get into it they've lost the expectation of success they've lost the expectation of good and whenever you have that there definitely needs to be some kind of shake up whether it's in personality of the players, personality of the coaches. But the one thing you don't want to look at a ball club and feel like they're disinterested. And sometimes I look at that ball club and I feel like they're totally content with what's happening right now. Well, at least they are in the front office. We're pretty certain of that. Uh, Just you were like, I mentioned generation R before, and that's a catchphrase that a lot of people probably don't remember, but that's what, that was the the theme basically during your years that they were Mm -hmm. building towards something. I get right. the feeling, and Manny, you back me up on this if you think I'm right. I get the feeling they are loath to mention the word rebuild around here. They do right. not want to be into that. They're not right. one of these tear it down, build it back up organizations. Like you said, they're just stuck in that rut where they they don't want to tear it down. They don't want to trade. You know, Manny and I talked about it. They need to trade their best player, Mar- their most tradable players, Herman Marcus. They need to trade him right. for a big because that's what you can get. That's what most organizations would do, right? Am I right, Manny? Most organizations would go out there. Yeah, I, and, and I. They won't just, yeah, on that, uh, just going right off of that. Um, I think that's to me, that's the biggest problem with this, this team is that one of the worst places you could be is not one or the other. You either, you either try to, you know, start again or you go all in, but if you're just going to sit there in the middle, especially in like the national league West, you know, the Dodgers and the Padres, Southern California is not going to just up and well, maybe it'll move out into the ocean. I don't know. Maybe it'll be, you know, something will happen, (laughs) but that's going to make them the NL West West. You know, mm-hmm. so but but I don't. They're not just going to up and be geographically gone. That's those two are the class of the the National League West. The Giants are, I think, regressing a little bit back to where we thought they might be last year. But 
they're still a playoff team. You, you can't, you can't just kind of be just lukewarm, you know, in the middle, you know, and, and I think that that's what this, like, like Preston said, they, they, there's this kind of, they, it seems like this kind of contentment there that they we're fine with what we are. And, and they are, like you said, Mark, loath to you, that's the right word to use the, the word rebuild. They never, they never say rebuild. Nope. They never talk about blow, just blowing it up and starting again, which I think they should have done a couple of years. Yep. I think, you know, to me, after Nolan left, Story was on his half, half. I mean, he had one foot out the door already too. So I thought at that point, that's when you got it. Like, look, it was an implied, you know, an implicit admission of failure when your franchise cornerstone wants out and leaves and you just got to start again, whatever happened. So Preston, how do you get out of what they're in? And I, I say that with knowing full well that this front office is, as Mark said, seemingly very much just fine with how things are. They just literally just broke the bank for Chris Bryant. Um, whether you're honest with the public or not, you have to be honest with your players. And I'm talking about ownership, ownership yep. and management. You have to say, look, we're in a spot right now. We're chasing teams that we don't have the power to be. So what do we need to do? We got a clear house or, or, or are we going to stand pat with what we have and try to do something to add pieces here and there? Where that stand pat, try to add pieces here and there, doesn't seem to be working because I think the team has kind of settled into the resignation that they're behind those teams and they have no way to get them. So if you're going to say, okay, this is where we are, this is what we're doing, or you got to go to the team and say, look, we got to shake something up. We got, we got to move some pieces. We got to do something to not only make sure that this team in the major leagues is ready to compete, but we got to stock this minor league somehow. Exactly. We got to go and get other teams best. You know, they're exactly. two of their top five prospects. Those, that's what we're looking for when we go to make a trade with a team. We're not trying to get some journeyman. We're trying to get players that are going to build our system where we're going to win consistently, not just now, but maybe for the next six or seven, eight years. And if you can do that, then the team will start to buy into it. But if you're doing right now, what you do, what you see they're doing right now, you're going to get these results of the team realizing, yeah, we spent a lot of money on this one player to kind of put a little bit of salve on, on, the, uh, on, the, on the fan base to let them know yep. that after we lost Nolan, that we're not just giving up on everything. But then if you don't really have much to go along with that player, you really spent money. It's kind of like eyewash. You know, it's like, yeah, yeah. I'm coming, I'm coming yeah. to work. And there's these, yeah. these, these dangerous, these dangerous hazardous parts every day, but we got this eyewash station in there. So we prove about, we care about safety. It's like, yeah. it's like, and I mean, like Mark, Mark and I have talked about this too. And, and it's, it, we feel like, I think if I remember correctly, we feel like that if they, if they moved Crone, if they moved Bard, if they moved even maybe Marcus, if they moved a bunch of these guys, you can get a really nice return right now for a guy like CJ Crone, Daniel Bard at the back end, who the way he's pitching. Um, guys that can really help a team down the stretch that wants to seriously compete in October. And you could really kind of restock. And 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 this team is, upper is bottom heavy. Yep. Yeah, exactly. This team is bottom yep. heavy on their on their farm yep. system. Most of their guys are in at, at, at the best at double A. Most of their guys are at single A, double A that are there in the top 30. And yep. You need, you know, you can get some major league ready or triple A kind of pieces that are top prospects from other organizations. I think the fear around here is that after they did, they stood pat with like last year with story when let's just put it this way. They, for story and John Gray, they got one draft pick compensatory draft pick. That's it. Yep. And they, they could have traded those guys at the last, at that, at the deadline. There's just an idea that, Oh, we'll resign them or whatever. And they both walked. And I think a lot of people saw that coming. There's this fear around here that I think that it, they're not going to do it. And do you see the Rockies at, you know, under new, under new GM There's a new GM in there. Obviously it's not like, I mean, he was interim last year. Do you see them maybe finally saying, man, look, 
like we're not going to compete this year. We're not going to compete next year. We've got to just let that, just admit that and let's start working on 2024 and 25 now. Or do you think they're going to kind of follow the same blueprint? You know what? I'm, I'm hopeful that, that they're going to kind of switch it up. Um, simply because I, I think the idea when they switch journal managers, look, we're kind of we're kind of in this little quagmire right now. We don't want to stay there. So if you're going to make that move, then that's the move you make to try to get things going, get some different thinking in there. But I will say this about when your prospects are a ball or lower, that's not good. Right. Because it's easy to say a kid is going to be good when he's in short season exactly. or an a ball. That's why the getting a compensatory change. draft pick, man. Like you get a draft right. pick, what, you could have traded for known commodities last year yep. for Story and yep. you know those guys. The, the biggest jump in minor league baseball is from A ball to Double A. When you get a guy in Double A, that's when you start seeing how he's going to face major league pitching and how he's going to look facing major league batters because that's what a major talent is in Double A. In Triple A, you really have guys that are you know maybe better than Double A, but they might not quite be good enough for for the big leagues. So that jump isn't as big as from, from A ball to double A. Uh, so I think when you look at teams and they, you talk about their prospects that are in double A and some are triple A, or I'd, I'd say high A, double A, and then a few at triple A. Those are the teams that have the stock systems. Because when you talk about a guy that's a, in, you know, just regular A ball or a short season, you don't really know what that, what that guy's going to do. You're simply looking at tools. You're not looking at production. You're looking at tools. Right. And when you, we measure out a bunch of tools, there's a lot of kids that I played with that were coming up, I mean, played that were in the systems with me and they're ranked as, as such good players in a ball. And then by the time you make it to double A, like they either fizzled out or didn't quite mature. Or maybe that power didn't translate to a different, uh, to a different league or that, that pitching. Uh, maybe they were just guys that threw hard that didn't know how to pitch. And once they moved up to higher levels, they were much easier to figure out. Uh, things kind of have a way of filtering themselves out once you get above a ball. Um, so really when you're talking about these lower measurements of players or ranking them, you're talking about tools. You're not talking about production. Hey, Preston, um, I know it's been a long time, but what were you, if you think back, what were your recollections of the Rockets front office? Dan O'Dowd was the GM. Um, he came in, obviously, early, probably before you got here, and was trading everybody and their brother. Talking about shaking things right. up, that's all he did. And then he turned around and reverted, and then they got back into the pattern they're in now. Um, what, what are your recollections of what the front office and management and ownership was like when you were here? Well, I think the, I think the management, as far as the, the GM and the manager, I really felt like they were trying to figure out a way to get the team to play. I mean, to win, to compete. Uh, It was unfortunate that Larry Walker had a bad shoulder issue. Um, I think him being healthy changes the whole lineup uh, because when I got there, I was actually hitting behind Larry. Uh, So it was Helton Walker and myself. And then as the year went on to show that how bad his shoulder really was, it went Helton, myself, and then, and then Walker. Uh, And then just from there, you know, Larry gave everything he had. Um, but it just wasn't there at that time. Um, but I really think that could have changed the landscape of the team because he was, O'Dowd did a good job of going out and getting role players. You know, he went out and got a Chris Steins. You saw uh, Uribe. You saw, you know, he went out and got guys that would help fill in in different areas of with Desi Relaford at one point, um, mm-hmm. Jose, Jose Hernandez. There were guys that may not have been stars, but they did what they needed to do and they competed and they helped round out the lineup. I think Dan kind of got a little bit he felt like he wasn't getting the help from the ownership to build how they needed to build. And, uh, you know, when, when the ownership controls the money, so when you don't get the backing to do the things you need to do to maybe make a bigger splash to get that one player here or there, then I think Dan kind of got a little bit, I don't want to say disenfranchised or, or, you know, sad about not being able to, yeah, frustrated about being able to get what his vision was for the team uh, incorporated 
And, uh, you know, then it's like, well, if we're not going to be able to do the good thing, the big thing, let's try to uh, get rid of some guys and try to build what we have here. And then it kind of ended up being this not want to admit that you're rebuilding, but then not really just saying, you know what, we're going to clear it out. And, and it's kind of like what we're talking about right now. There's this, well, this has been a thing be, going on. We are for, who we are. This has been a thing going on for for a long time. Years, yeah. I mean, it's, yeah. this kind of kind of been just this, this the MO. I mean, it, it seems like this it, it, you you've got you got two bad the bad elements at the same time you've got a farm system ranked near the bottom i mean like 25th ish and you've got and when you and when you do spend money you spend it poorly i'm not talking about chris bryant because i think that the jury's out still it's so early he's back in the lineup tonight we'll see you know whether he can you know i mean the season's over for them but right. i mean just to right. see if he, what he can do um but uh, you know in the past you know the ian desmond sign i love the ian desmond we you know, yeah. I, as a person, we used to talk all the time and stuff, but he was not, he was not the guy that they were paying him to be. He's not the, he's not a $70 million player. Um, right. And like that, so the expectation was placed upon a guy who that wasn't just who was, he wasn't who he was. And he was basically right. hired, hired to play a position he never played. Um, yeah. And so like that, and then obviously you go all the way back to Mike Hampton and those guys, and you go back and, and the, the, the actual money spent has burned them a lot in the past yeah. and i feel like oh, yeah. if that makes them gun shy you know going forward about how to spend money but it's like it's like you're putting yourself in these positions so like you 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 spend money poorly then you're like no we spent money before it didn't work out well that's your fault right that's your problem <laughs> you got it you got to figure out how to spend that well um and you talked about dan o'dowd and the role player thing i feel like in 2018 that was their chance like after they mm-hmm. get to the nlds they were swept out by by milwaukee after that um, I remember talking to Arenado and, and right after that, and he said, he said something that is funny because the day I was walking into the park that, that day and I saw like a, a Dante Bichette Jersey outside and I texted him like, Hey man, they still love you out here and stuff. And he's like, man, that's awesome. Like, I was like, I was just walking into the park for game three. He's like, man, you know what? Um, I never knew. I never thought that the Rockies problem was going to be hitting, yeah. but it's yeah. hitting right now. And yeah. cause they, and they're pitching, you know, they had that young kind of, rotation with Freeland and Marquez going they were all locked in that year and after the game you know Arnado said you know usually the problem here historically hasn't been hitting but right now it has that's what it is this year I mean they were just silent in the division series I know they were run ragged they played the Cubs they played they were in like three three different cities in seven days but the bottom line is is that the Rockies you know my brother said this one time as a matter of principle it's a great quote matter of principle the Rockies should never be last in offense in anything you know it's just because where they play and who they are and what they ought to be and I think there's a lot to that because, and and I thought that was the off season to go and get it. Like right then, that was the point where you got DJ LeMahieu, you got Trevor Story, you got Nolan Arnada, you have Charlie Blackman on his peak and that, and that young rotation. And that was the window. And they didn't add the role players, those guys that you, you put around the superstar guys to do that. And that's where they lost that chance. And now it's like, now they seem to be just directionless. And I just don't know how you get out of that. You know? I, I, I with the way you get out of that is you have to really work from the bottom up. And when I say bottom up, I mean, you're scouting and you're in your coaching in the minor leagues. You need to reevaluate that because what that does is that puts you in a position to be able to grow role players. Like I, right. I, I, uh, there was a situation with the Miami Marlins a few years ago, and I'll never forget this. They were so depleted as far as guys in their system. And this was before Jeter came and all of that. Uh, it was their minor league system was so depleted. They had to go out and sign Steve Lombardoza. Steve Lombardoza, Steve Lombardoza is a great kid, well, a great man, a uh, nice guy, all of that, worked really hard, 
but you should never have to leave your system to find a Steve Lombardozzi type of player. Those yeah. players are, they should be everywhere. And right. that just goes to show you when your system That's a great is, point. is not built right from the minor leagues of coaching and scouting, you have to go and find an average player. No, you should have average players in your minor leagues. That's a a guy that you can say, you know what? We can stick him up there for 10 days and he'll be able to not hurt us. You should have that in your minor league system. But it, this was before the Marlins reevaluate re their minor leagues and their coaching. Um, sometimes you got to take the bite the bullet. You got to say what we're doing, these players that we are growing and producing, especially hitters, is not good enough. And how do you fix that? You have to reevaluate and be honest with yourself about what you're teaching, how you're teaching it, and who you have teaching. Yeah, I've been very, very honest about what they have, who's teaching what around here. Uh, like I said, uh, the quote last year, Manny, the, the alternate work in a parallel universe, alternate universe. It's it's true. Hey, Preston, I want to shift gears a little bit here. Um, you played center field in a lot of ballparks, um, and you, including Coors Field. I got a chance to go out on, we had an alumni day four or five years ago. You should have been there. It was, it was a lot of fun. Um, and I, I went, I'm not going to take batting practice. That wasn't. Come next day. year, though, because next year is 30 years. I'll yeah, try to have something there. next year. So. Um, All right, well, I'll look for the call. I, just, right. I decided to do the bucket. Decided to, I, hey, okay. I, I did that for a long time in my life. I can go out there behind the shag ball. But I was just dumbfounded. I've been to Coors Field hundreds of times, right? But I'd never been out behind second base. And I got a chance to look at that outfield. And I was just dumbfounded how big that outfield is compared to the places. I, I mean, you could sit Fenway Park inside it. It was ridiculous. Mm -hmm. um, was that your impression when you first arrived? You looked at that space and said, my God, this is Yellowstone Park, not Coors Field. Yeah. When, when, you, when you get out in center field in, in, a, in, a, in a Coors Field, the first thing you realize is that there's no, you almost feel like you you have no boundaries because the gap in left center, yeah. like if I'm, if I'm facing home plate right now, yeah. this gap is right around 400 feet, like in that peak in that corner, that triples corner there. And then over here to this side, I'm wide until I get right to almost dead away right center. Then it starts to break in a little bit. So you feel like there's absolutely, you have, you, you're, not, you're not ever going to run out of space. The only time you run out of space is when the ball is out of the ballpark. Um, that one of the things you've never seen or really don't ever see in Coors Field, and this is, this is kind of trippy because after playing there, you realize it, and then you watch the games and you see it continue to happen. You never see an infielder call off a fly ball to an outfielder. You know what I'm saying? The infielder never is going back and he's calling up. The I outfielder it. always I, you is going to catch I can't, that ball. I can't think of one off the top of my head that I remember. Yeah. yeah. So it's one of those things where you have so much responsibility as an outfielder, and especially a center fielder. You know, I, I don't know how Charlie Blackman played center field for that long in that environment. You know, that's, that's something that takes such a toll on your body, when, especially when you go uh, to, to uh, stadiums that are near sea level or lower altitudes. You and when up. you come back, the third day was always the toughest on me. The first two days was kind of adjustment, but that third day, it felt like my legs, the hamstrings were like made out of wood. Like it took so oh. much work oh. to get loose. Um, so I, I'll tell you, anybody who plays center field at that ballpark, you can do it for a long period of time and do it and be productive like Charlie's done. My hat's off to you, man. Do you no, think, I mean, I remember what, Ellis, Ellis well, Burks was yeah. Alex Burks was saying yep. about about the center field there. Like they had Larry play center field a little bit. That's why he broke his collarbone in '96. He didn't want to play mm -hmm. center. But uh, earlier on, Ellis, when he was in Boston, they told they tried to move him to right field, and he thought that was mm -hmm. you know his young player. He thought that was kind of like a demotion. They wanted to bring Brady Anderson, mm -hmm. and he's like, "No, I'm a, I'm a center fielder." And he's like, "I you know I regretted that because it might have saved my legs a lot." And obviously, we know what happened with his legs. So it, um, and then just to take that and that's Fenway, right? I mean, to take that and then put it like you mentioned, Mark, you can put Fenway probably inside uh, yep. cores like that in the field, in so far as the field itself. 
to, to, to have to deal with center field like that. I mean, it's, it's just one of the, you know, we talk about cores as, as, as a play as a problem for the Rockies. And, and I think this came mm-hmm. up on Twitter the other day, like you need to make it your place. Yep. Right. I mean, right. somehow, because if you make it, if like Burks again, Burks said, you know, when we were fly back, we'd be like nightmare on Blake street. Here we go. No. Come back. You know, like, cause we are the nightmare for them. We were the last BP group right. because the, you know, the pitcher stretching, we want to show them what, what they're going to see. And now it's kind of like they're scared of their own ballpark. But one of the big problems is, is, is that center field because, like, you know, they've been trying to – When's the, I mean, they've had some athletes out there, but when's the last time you had a – you know, it's been years since we had guys like you patrolling out there that yep. can cover a lot of ground, you know, yeah. and it's just – and, yep, and, and do it the way you need to with the flight of the ball and everything else. Yep. It's just there's so many built-in disadvantages with Coors Field. How do you make it your advantage? And is it just basically go back to the Bombers and slug, out-slug? No, no. What you do is you find players or you draft players that have the ability to play the way they need to play. And this is this is one thing I give St. Louis Cardinals credit for. When they draft a player or they sign a player, they don't do that in the hopes that this player will become a different type of player. They say, this is who you are. This is what we want. You know, even when I uh, after when I was with Houston in 2006 and I ended up uh, leaving Houston and eventually signing with, with St. Louis. When they called me, they said, we want you to be yourself. We're not trying to get you to be, we want you to come be a slugger, play good outfield. That's what we want. We don't care if you hit 210, as long as you drive the ball out of ballpark and you drive and runs, that's what you do. And it just takes such a weight off you. So now when you talk about a situation like Ian Desmond, think about the opposite of that, bringing him in and now asking him to do things he's never done before in his career. That money doesn't make up for that. You can't just be someone else. Right. It, It changes you as a player. So, what I think the Rockies need to do, they need to get back to drafting athletes. They need to get back to drafting guys that have that ability and have coaches that know how to get that out of them. Because if you don't, you can't make someone who they aren't. You can't give someone, you know, range in the outfield, even if you like their bat. You can't do it. So you got to have teachers. And it's I like think what maybe, it's like what they're doing with pitchers, right? Like grooming your own guys. Right. So, so pitch, pitching was such a, a flaw for them. For that they just focused solely on pitching and made sure that they invested in that pitching and then investing in the teaching and instruction and in how to build these pitches and how to get them to pitch in course field. Well, you may have worked on your weakness, but I think maybe you forgot about your strength a little bit. And exactly. now when your strength becomes mediocre or what should be your strength, now you got to retool that. You might have to start paying coaches in your minor leagues a little bit more to entice some of those great coaches. I mean, every, every, every team knows who the great coaches are because players talk about it. Players will be like, oh, man, when I was in this system, for, for me, for instance, when I was with the Mets, I had a guy named Rich Miller, best outfield instructor I've ever seen in the minor leagues. He was a little bit particular and pedantic about a few things that he just wouldn't let go, but he got the best out of you. And how I don't know, because he coached Jay Payton. He coached Terrence Long. He coached me. He coached Benny Albayani. You know, guys who, Benny wasn't even a great outfielder, but he made Benny serviceable. He got Jay Payton to the point where he could play around an arm injury. You know, like those guys are rare. So what do you do? You might open up your purse a little bit for them. Say, hey, we want to get this thing going back in the right direction. We know what the going rate is for you. Here, come with us for a little while. Take, let's, let's see if we can get this thing turned around. We're looking at trying to make uh, a, an organization that is, as I said before, loath to make changes, make changes. Uh, it's just not what they want to do. They want to do things, quote, unquote, the rocky way. And unfortunately, um, that comes with a lot of uh, built-in hangups. And, well, it seems like early on in the, in the history of this team, and just doing the Blake Street Bombers thing, the book, like talking to these guys and find, and talking to, um, you know, guys who were there at the very beginning, it seemed like, you know, you know, they were, they had something of something there for a minute. Like, 
95, I, I remember talking to John Smoltz and he's like, that lineup, I can't tell you if that lineup was better than the Indians that year or not. And that was like, that's, that's Bell, Ramirez, Lofton, all those guys. And that, that, that lineup, they were comparing that lineup to Murderer's Row. And it's like, I was kind of shocked by that. And he's like, yeah, well, you put a DH in, in, in the Rockies lineup and see who they put up there. And then you add, and then you put them to, side by side with Cleveland. And so they had that. And, and what the guys were saying from back then, they're like, man, we, we, just had, we just had a bullpen that figured it out. They just weren't mm-hmm. afraid. And they just figured it out. They didn't care what the numbers looked like, but they they made sure to keep us in it so that, you know, I remember Girardi saying like uh, eight to two, because remember the, the last game of that 95 season, they were trying to make the wild, the first wild card mm-hmm. and they were playing the Giants and they won. Um, but they were down eight to two in that game. And Girardi's like eight to two is like two to one here, you know, pre-humidor course, yeah. no problem. Yeah. Just keep us within like, you know, to keep us there and our bats will do it. The, the Rockies don't, their 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 offense you know despite whatever the visiting broadcasts say about how they're great hitting team they're not they're they're they're, they they got cj crone brendan Rodgers can hit a little bit that's about it you know and so everybody else is kind of a slap hitter a light hitter and coors field to me it seems like it's always if that's your place if it's if if it literally is a meme coors Mm -hmm. then you got to make it your place i remember some people from the giants in the late 80s saying Roger Craig told us, he's like, man, I don't want anybody complaining about this place. The wind, the cold, the whatever. Right. Candlestick. Yep. Make it your place. And I just right. feel like the Rockies need to change that mentality um, about making it their place. What do you have on that? Right. Oh, I, I absolutely think you have to make your home environment hell for another team. I really do. I, th- I think you want to make the other teams have these thoughts coming in like, oh, man, we're going to we go, we're going to course. And I want you you want those people to have those thoughts and worries when they come in. Why? Because it's going to take away from their performance. Right. But I also think internally what you have to do is make sure the players that you have, their ability translates outside of course field, because yeah. when you have minor leagues, you got to realize minor leagues are regional. Yep. So a lot of times when you play in the minor leagues, you have teams that are playing, you know, within a few hours of each other. So that means the, the topography of the land is the same. There's going to be similar altitude. There's going to be. So when you get to the major leagues now, that changes because now it's a national thing. It's not just regional. That's a great. So point. you got to make sure you got players who can, can play, not just deal an altitude. The, deal with the sea level and back. The Marlins had that problem uh, one time and they changed it. Uh, it was actually right before I got there. Um, when, they, when, they got rid of, uh, when they got rid of the players that got them the World Series in 97, um, their prospects were guys like uh, Todd Dunwoody, um, there's an a, a outfielder, I think, named Alex Ramirez, uh, Kevin Millar, uh, uh, Brian Dahlback, who ended up having a good career with the, with, the, um, with, the, with the Red Sox. He had a good few years there. Alex Gonzalez. Well, they played in Portland, in AA, in their Portland ballpark. That ballpark was a small ballpark. But, I mean, you had a bunch of guys who put up a bunch of big numbers. There. I mean, I want to say guys written 20, 30 home runs there. Well, when they got to sea level, and it was a bigger ballpark in Miami – those same guys ended up hitting like 210 with five, four home. Like it wasn't the same. So you got to make sure that talent that you have in the minor league is going to translate to what they're going to face at the major league level. And if you don't acknowledge that as a reality, you're going to end up keeping players that are going to underproduce when you really need them to. And that's at the major league level. How do you do on that point? How do you do, how do you deal with the break, the breaking balls? Because um, it's one thing. That's a great point. I mean, cause like you're talking about the regional minor leagues and then they just get into this situation where it's like it's just totally alien to them dealing with the, the the sea level thing. How do you deal with? They've never seemed to be able to figure out. It doesn't. It's not personnel because all thirty seasons you can go through all thirty seasons. You had the Blake Street Bombers, you had Helton, you had you guys, 
get everybody and they just, as a team you guys never hit well on the road how do you deal with the obvious course hangover thing with the breaking balls uh, you know for me i think it's, it's something where i played at sea level on a few teams so to me my splits weren't that bad. Like my, my, to me, I, because I, I understood what it was, but I think if you have like the Rockies have, you have a team that plays your triple A, um, has high altitude. Albuquerque. Yeah. Right. So when, and then when you come to, to when you come to, uh, and then in Colorado, they have a team in Colorado Springs or something like that as well. They did, yeah, they, moved that they, they did, but they still have okay. one in Grand Junction. So, you know, it's okay. So it's still altitude, yeah. right? So, mm-hmm. so what you end up having is you have players who've never experienced on a grand scale, like playing a lot of games outside of that environment, where that breaking ball is sharper or nastier. You know, I honestly think what they may need to do is they may need to have at least one or two of their minor league teams their in an area at low altitude. Hmm. Because hmm. now you're going to have players who've experienced that. But if you have something that's totally foreign to guys all the way up from double A, triple A to big leagues, then when they go to teams like, like go to cities like Miami or, or go to Houston, now they're sea level. So now it's different. The hitters haven't seen breaking balls breaking that sharply. They haven't seen, you know, outfielders don't know what it's like for a foul ball to start hooking foul. Because when you have less uh, less uh, uh, friction in the air, the ball doesn't go foul as much. So you have more fair balls. You got a lot of things that happen at low altitude that don't happen at altitude that players have to get and, and confront and, and be aware of. This so is reps. You, it's reps. You got it. You just yeah, got to. You got to see it. You, you got to. Yeah. You can't tell a player what it's like to play in course field that's never played in course field. Because no matter what you tell them until they experience it themselves, they don't know how to register it. Like I, I got to, I had a system where when I came home and as long as it, as long as there, as long as it wasn't like a humidity or really soggy air, I've tried in my mind, I'm overplaying that ball by 10 yards in my mind, because mm-hmm. I never wanted to take an angle on a ball where I'm flat and then it goes past me. I'm going deep first, go get my angle first. And then I know it's going to hang up so then I can cut it off. So you have to learn how to play that now at, now at a at sea level, you can't do that because you're going to have the ball end up dropping before you can cut it off. So your angle has to be more direct when you're at lower altitudes. So there's things that you have to experience and learn about yourself as a player and your coaches have to be to acknowledge it too, to make you aware of it. So I really think one of the things they need to do, and this is hard to do, is you got to figure out a way to get your players in the minor leagues to play at some of those conditions before they get to the big leagues. And if that means moving one of your teams to a lower altitude, yeah, you have to do that. Hey, Preston, you've um, done a lot of things since you retired, including some media stuff. Have you considered going into coaching, front office work? Because um, this is good stuff, man. This is really good stuff. <laughs> I mean, really. I mean, just I'm, I was just thinking, just having players not have to like suffer these kinds of issues. I mean, like have it uh, be jarred by this stuff when they're in the yeah. big leagues and having to have de- dealt with it before. It's really good. Well, I think one of the yes, I've I've thought about it, um, and you know, I, I think if the right situation comes up, I will definitely do some coaching. Um, but I I think the thing we we've gotten to in baseball is we gotten so used to trying to stop players from failing that we've forgotten the value in the struggle. And I don't mean you want to beat a kid down mentally. What I mean is, you know, there, I've heard of organizations who, if a pitcher's, um, you know, pitch past four innings, they're never going to give them a situation to pitch to the, with the, with the time run on deck. Like, honestly, like I've heard that there's organizations that do that. That's why you see, like, they never want the pitcher to feel like, well, I'm winning the game and then I lost this game. Well, you know what? There's value in that because it teaches you, to ride that ebb and flow, it teaches you it, just because I start off a game well and have a two innings that are poor, doesn't mean I can't come back and finish strong. So what you end up having is you have players who once it goes bad, they give up. You're soft. You know, so it's I, a Kobe, yeah, it's a Kobe yeah. meme. Soft. 
Right. right. So what you do is you're, you're actually teaching players that when it goes bad, that it's time for somebody else to take the reins. Absolutely and do I don't think pitchers. that's – yeah, Absolutely. and they do that with pitchers. So I, I think the same thing for hitters. You need to learn that to play in an environment where the ball doesn't carry, to play in a graveyard, you know, to when you know, like, okay, if I hit it, I know it's gone. Because that's, that's when you learn your truth. That's when you teach these guys, hey, we're not trying to just loft the ball in there. We want line drives. If that line drive carries out, gravy, we're good. You know, but we want, we want guys that can compete in every environment. But you don't know how to compete in every, every environment if you've never been in it. Absolutely that's right. Fair. That's fair. Hey, before we let you go, Preston, um, one of the things we talked about off the top about, about Twitter, about you being such a good Twitter, Twitter follow, is it's not just about baseball. Uh, it's about real life stuff. Um, and you're very outspoken in your views, and I think Manny and I both share those views. Um, tell me what you think an, a, a baseball player, an athlete, any athletes, what's their responsibility now socially in this country? Um, it, there's value in speaking out, but there's also danger in doing so. Um, what, would you, what do you right. advise young athletes that they should do now when they feel the need to speak out about social issues? Well, I think first you have to understand where you are in your career and what you can do, because honestly um, – some owners are not going to take well to you saying things that are counter to their thinking and they control the bunny. So you really have to be careful in that aspect. If you feel like you're in an organization that's going to promote you uh, being able to say things that are really near and dear to your heart, then that's fine. But then after that, what you need to do is you need to do a self-check and make sure that this thing that you're saying is not about what you think, it's about what you know. And that also has to be piggybacked upon, is this a humane idea? Is this an idea that's going to be okay for every human being, no matter the ideologies of that human being? Is this a thing that's in the interest of humanity? And then you go from there. Makes sense. Good advice. Um, Manny, uh, anything to add to that? No, I mean, it's, it's a, it's a polarizing time, right? Um, And uh, you know, we all have our, we all, I think we, we all have the places where we're coming from on, on that. And like Preston said, I think it's good what he said as far as um, check yourself to to make sure that what you're saying is something you know, not just what you yeah. feel. I think well, I think yeah. I think I think we're far too much right now is about your emotions and what you feel, and not about um, what's true and what's not true. So I like that. Yeah, I mean, no matter what it is that you're saying, make sure that there is something that you can back it up with. And I'm not I'm talking yeah. about actual information, studies that have been done, things that have been agreed upon by multiple sources. Don't just go out there spitting things because you're, you're emotional and you feel a certain way because right. what you end up doing is you end up defeating that idea that you're talking about because you don't have anything to pin it to. Listen, I never hit for the cycle either. I know you and Jeff Fry were having a change on. <laughs> yeah. I gave them up. I gave them up, but I didn't ever hit for one. But yeah, if, if people want a, a good Twitter follow at Preston Wilson, um, you will not be disappointed. Uh, great insights on baseball and life. We really enjoyed having you. Um, get you back again sometime. All right, I'd love to be back. Thank you guys for having me. Thanks, Chris. Appreciate Preston it. Wilson, right. color Rockies All Star, nineteen what two thousand six, two thousand three, two thousand three. Yeah, I'm giving you credit. <laughs> yeah, you okay, two thousand three. Appreciate. Don't, don't let this dyed beard fool you, man. <laughs> Is it dyed? Is that what you did? Oh yeah, that's. A, yeah, I got a little color in there. Oh yeah, oh, I gotta try that. more. You got a lot more pepper than salt. Oh in there, man, huh? don't don't do that, Mark. And I mean, I'm just thinking about that right now. And what that would look like. I'm sorry. I just no. I'm oh, no. Actually, you know what? Go ahead and do it. Do it no, one time. We'll see no, 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 no. I'm sticking with the salt. Uh, pepper's long gone for me. Preston, thanks for joining us. Man, you got a closer for thanks, us? Man. 
Yep, on the other side. Uh, we'll be back right after this. It's the Park Adjusted Rockies podcast. Stay with us. For the best selection of autographs and memorabilia from your favorite sports stars past and present, look no further than denverautographs.com. Find what you're after on the web or at either of their two Metro Denver locations, Colorado Mills Mall and Flatirons Mall, Broncos, Rockies, Avs, Nuggets, and much more. It's all at denverautographs.com. The place to catch all the big game action is at Stoney's Bar and Grill, now with four great locations, including Winter Park and the original at 11th and Lincoln. Great food, great service, and unrivaled game day atmosphere. There's no better place to watch your favorite teams in action. To find out more, check out stoneysbarandgrill.com. This week's closer was ever so close to being about the direction of the Colorado Rockies once again. It's just the elephant in the room when it comes to this team. It's also just occurred to me that elephant in the room is a great way to talk about the future of the A's. But that's neither here nor there. Anyway, that all changed when Chad Cool, who, as we all know, wears the number 41 because he grew up with Mark Knutson as his hero, just check out the open to our show, threw a three-hit shutout of the Dodgers at Coors Field on Monday night. The Dodgers at Coors Field. I mean, three-hit shutouts don't just happen at Coors Field. And a lineup like the Dodgers? Absolutely unheard of. So here's to you, Chad Cool. Thanks for doing the open to our show. We're pretty sure that that's why you're having such incredible success on the mound, even in Denver. So, this definitely ups Cool's trade value, right? Do the Rockies deal him? We talked on today's show with Preston Wilson about whether the organization will change course and start to see itself as an aggressive seller. After all, the Rockies are clearly not competing this year, and as we discussed, it really seems it's time to move on by restocking the farm system to build for years from now rather than trying to compete with this roster in 2023. You've already got attractive pieces in C.J. Crone, Daniel Bard, and others. Add cool to that list, and this could be one of the greatest opportunities the Rockies have ever had to bolster the farm system and make a big move toward improving in the long term. Will it happen? Only time will tell. But if the Rockies want to enjoy nights like Cools with the background of a winning club, which is what it's all about, isn't it? It'll need to. Manny slams the door and we chalk up another W for this week's show. Our thanks to former Rockies All-Star Preston Wilson for sharing his insights on the Rockies, Coors Field, and the role professional athletes should play in society. If you don't already, you should really follow him on Twitter, at PrestonWilson44. It's great stuff. That'll do it for this episode of the Park Adjusted Rockies podcast. Thank you for joining us, and we'll catch you next time. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.